Welcome to episode 121 on The Herpreneur Show. Today we have emotional intelligence expert and author, Amy Jacobson. Welcome to The Herpreneur Show, where we talk women, business, life. I am your host, Annette Lakovich. I'm an entrepreneur, businesswoman, mum, and I'm a fitness fanatic who loves to dance. What I also love to do is help you reach your fullest potential in business, health, and happiness. Join me as I bring you life-changing interviews interviews, world-class education that helps you continue to up-level your next stage in greatness. It's your time to shine. Let's do it. In high-pressure situations, environments where we deal directly with people and their emotions, our degree of emotional intelligence can either resolve or exacerbate a situation. Your technical skills may have been able to help you get that business built So you can get out there and use your expertise, but it's your emotional intelligence that helps you build your business successfully and soundly. That is me paraphrasing a piece out of the book that we're diving into today with expert Amy Jacobson. Amy Jacobson is experienced emotional intelligence specialist. She's a sought after speaker and inspirational leadership trainer and coach. She shares today about how our emotions drive all our actions. We take a deep dive into her book, Emotional Intelligence, a simple and actionable guide to increase performance, engagement, and ownership. And we relate this all today, ladies, to you and building a successfully sound and happy business and life. The Herpreneur Show is brought to you by Convert Club. If you're finding it really hard to close the sales and you want those big deals, and we actually are going to a pretty hot tip today, actually helping you if you send out proposals, if you're a consultant, some type of a trainer, or if you go out and do quotes or estimates, there's a hot tip today that I give you. Convert Club, I see incredible transformations. And this one tip that I'm going to share with you today is about why not to send proposals. And simply by just doing this, for example, we did a webinar last week on this and one lady got back to us in six days and said that she got her first 100K gig just from making that one change to her sales process. And these aren't unusual results. These are results that we hear continuously. If you do want to know more about Convert Club, reach out to me personally and I can go through all the information and see if it's a match for you and your business. And that's what we're doing today. We're relating everything to you and your business to help you thrive. Enjoy today's interview, Emotional Intelligence, Amy Jacobson. I love to start the show with letting everybody know where in this beautiful country of Australia do you reside? Oh, at the moment, I'm in Perth. So I've been in Perth since 2004, but I'm actually originally from New South Wales. Oh, yeah, just north of Sydney. So Central Coast is where I spend most of my life, but lived in Queensland as well. I've travelled all of Australia. So let's just call it Australia. Yeah, and where, what what made you move across to to New South from New South Wales? Because I was actually a Sydney girl as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So my husband and I, back when, you know, before we were married, we actually left Sydney and travelled around Australia in a four-wheel drive for six months. And at the time, we, we, as I said, hadn't been married, we didn't have kids, and we just thought we just can't afford to buy in Sydney. We don't want to bring up kids there. So <laughs> the we normal kind of, thing, yes. The normal thing, right? Um, and we just think, you know what, we'll just see where we land. And we'd never been to Perth, but we'd heard good things about it. And so we kind of narrowed it down and said, we'll either land in northern Queensland or in Perth. And we arrived in Perth and just loved it. Happy 
haven't left since. You, you just you cannot duplicate the life in Perth in any other state in Australia, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely agree, 100%. Now, you are an expert in emotional intelligence and you've written a great book to help us work through it. Can you first explain to the ladies what is emotional intelligence? What does it mean? Yes, yes. So the whole reason I actually wrote the book is because there is a massive misconception out there on what emotional intelligence is. And look, there are so many definitions for it. If, if I take us back to the, the textbook definition of emotional intelligence, it's really about being able to recognize and control your emotions and control the impact that you have on the people around you. And from a textbook point of view, we really define emotional intelligence as self-awareness, self-regulation, empathy social skills and motivation. However, the whole reason I wrote that book is that I think a definition like that, it's it's so sciencey, you know, like we don't use these kind of words on a regular basis. So what does empathy mean? What does self-regulation mean? So for me, I like to really simplify it. So for me, emotional intelligence, it's not about what you know or what you can do. It's all about how and why you do it. So it's really owning who you are and knowing what makes you tick. It's about owning the the response you have in situations with your emotions. It's about, you know, owning how you make other people feel, your communication, your motivation. It is all about you. It's massive accountability and just really understanding what makes you tick. So tell me, how do you think it is aligned with the level of success? We've got women on that are business owners, some are in the startup stage, some of them in the growth phase. Um, I feel like for me, and I've learned about emotional intelligence when I was quite young, from age 21, I started hearing EQ and IQ and being told I've got high EQ. And then reading your book, I hear that there is a slight difference between the EQ and the IQ, what it is. Oh, sorry, the EQ and the EI. Um, But I do really feel that because I was learnt to really groom my communication skills and learn NLP and all these different modalities to be able to really help get the best of a situation in a relationship building, in negotiation, in sales... How do you think the importance of that really does play in your level of success in business? I think when it comes down to, to business and, and really, you know, and that for emotional intelligence, this is the area that I specialize in is in the workplace and business because I think the people that are aware of emotional intelligence tend to be aware of it at home or in other relationships, yet people aren't as quick to apply it in the workplace or in the business world because We think that business success is about our technical skills, our knowledge, the way that we can actually learn a product or, you know, or be or have a lot of experience and the qualifications behind us. However, when we're creating businesses more than anything, it's our emotional intelligence that determines how well we manage during that absolute roller coaster. Like I know for me, even, you know, I teach this kind of stuff. And when I went into running, like owning my own business, the roller coaster is horrific. Like one minute you are on cloud nine, just bouncing off walls thinking, this is amazing. Like I've got this, I should have done this 10 years ago. And the next morning you wake up and you're absolutely on rock bottom. 
And I think the emotional intelligence side is that side that helps you to manage that roller coaster. It's that side that helps you to adapt to the unknown. Because one of the biggest problems we have in our mind is the fear of the unknown and fear of not having control. And I'm sure many business owners out there that are listening would understand that running a business means that you don't know what's around the corner. And, and you know, you, you can struggle with that loss of control and loss of the unknown. Yeah. I love that. Now, in the bio, I said it can be taught. Can it be taught? Or am I just making that up? Because I felt like there were skills that I learned along the way. And reading in your book, I feel like there's a lot of skills, but then it's a matter of not just reading it, it's applying it, right? Yes. Yeah. So so one of the biggest things that I, I do say to people up front is that I truly believe that there is not such a thing as an emotionally intelligent person. So I would never call myself emotionally intelligent because I think as humans, we all have the ability to respond in an emotionally intelligent way, but we also have the ability to respond in a not so emotionally intelligent way. Ask my 14-year-old daughter there. Sometimes I come home and I will do something or say something at home and she'll look at me now and say, Mum, that wasn't very emotionally intelligent, was it? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So she's been taught well. (laughs) She knows too much. She knows too much. But I think it's a perfect example of how emotional intelligence is a skill. Can it be taught? Yes, it can. But you've got to want to learn it and it's repetition. You've got to practice it. You've got to apply it in specific situations. Listening to a podcast, reading a book, going on a course will not make you emotionally intelligent, unfortunately. So let's dive a bit deeper. You talked about all different things. I'm going to go into one of them now. And this is one where this is just giving women just a really good understanding of the ways we can leverage it and use it. And you were talking about the power of words and the impact that it creates. Uh, For example, I notice who I am and you talk about the different stages. There's self-awareness and there's self-regulation. And we can dive into all these I, I realize I, when I go to write something for the team, I go to write something very task focused. And then before I send it, I then reread it and I commend up the top and I put the little bit of fluff in there. And then I do some recommendations in the bottom. And, you know, I, I then fill it out because the way that I would give my information would probably be quite hard hitting if they'll just to read it. So for me, it's, I'm very conscious of when I go to write something, it is, it lands well. So let's talk about the importance of communication when it comes to writing, the power of words, the words that we can use in emails, the words that we shouldn't use in emails, the words that we shouldn't use in communication that really creates a block for us or for others? Yeah, so when we generally start communicating, and like you said, Annette, when we sit down to to smash out an email, the thoughts that come out and the words that come out first are generally from our own mind in a way that we're thinking of ourselves. So we tend to find uh, writing or typing or saying, I this or do this or then do this, as you said, very task-orientated. And the emotionally intelligent side that comes in, coming back to what you just mentioned about 
how you go through your email, is your EI then getting out of your own head and into the head of the people that are reading it? So that's when we start going through. I do exactly the same thing. I find that when I first write an email, there is a lot of I's or I'm or I've because you're thinking from first person. And then I would change a lot of those I's to we or to us. Now, these words, just the slightest change from I to we or to us changes the communication that then goes to the subconscious mind of the person that's reading the email. And it totally changes the way that they will process that information and influences what they will do next, all based on that emotional undertone. And I'll give you a perfect example from a sales point of view for everybody out there. When I'm sending out a proposal, I'm really careful of the words that I use. You will have read in the book, I never never start a sentence with just, just checking in with you or just going to see how this. I never talk about being busy. I never, I never downplay the reason why I'm sending them an email. I'm confident. I'm sending them an email for a reason and for a purpose, and I want to make that really clear. But when I follow up on that proposal, which as business owners, we do all the time, right? It's just following up and checking in, you know, how's this going? I always make sure that at that point, my language is in a partnership. I'm not going to them and saying, how did my proposal go? Or can I follow up? What did you think on the proposal? Or um, I just want to check in and see if you've had a chance to read my proposal. For me, it, it instantly comes to how did we go on the proposal? Like we've spoken, we've we've talked about this, I've designed this proposal for you. So now it's a we, it's an us. And that change of language instantly creates that rapport, creates that relationship. Because we know very well that in our minds, we actually don't start listening or paying attention to a communication or a conversation until we have a connection. So unless you can create that connection through the emotional undertone of the words, you've lost that person. Actually, you haven't even connected in the first place to that person until you can create that. So words that I would definitely, I would take those singular, the I, the we, the you, sorry, the I, the you out. The only time I and you should be in a sentence is if a we finishes off the sentence. So I'm doing this for you so that we can have this. So it's really rounding it out. Perfect. So, Amy, I'm going to give a little lesson for everyone here on sending proposals (laughs) because you know that everything I do is to teach sales. And I'm going to give you even a, a, a tip that's going to help you convert that even more. So, ladies, when you actually have a proposal, and this is going to make a huge difference, huge difference in your closing sales, most of the time we will send a proposal because the when you're going through the sales process, the person will say, send me a proposal. Unless you are doing a, um, oh gosh, I just lost the word of it, um, a tender. If it's a tender, obviously you have to send the proposal. Though if you have actually had a, a chat to, let's just say, in Amy's situation, she speaks to a lot of CEOs, a lot of decision makers because she works in the corporate field. If you are going out to do a quote, a proposal, and you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, and you're working with the business owner one-on-one, what I want you to do is do this very special step, is you will let them know you're going to go back and work through 
the plan and I would change your word from proposal to plan because as soon as you will propose, it means you propose something, right? So it's another change in language there. We don't want it just to be a proposal. We want to show them it's a plan. Let's just say it could be a training plan. It could be the leadership plan and it's the plan that you're creating, you've created for them. And then I'll give you a massive tip because most people do this. Most people send the proposal. But what I want you to do is organize a time to jump back on Zoom or to go and see them face to face and to walk through the proposal with them. And this takes a lot of courage. And we're going to go into a lot of blockers that Amy mentions in the book. And one of the blockers is... For women, it's being scared of getting the no, and not just women, this is like around 68% of people don't actually ask for the sale face-to-face because they're scared of getting the no. But if you actually can go through and walk through that proposal or the plan (laughs) with them face-to-face or over over the phone or via email and you send it through, but you've got them on the phone, you'll go, Amy, you're on the other side, great, I'm going to send it through now and let me talk it through with you. Even if you're on the phone, you will actually close more sales because they'll ask more questions then and there. So that's just a tip, Amy, to help you actually get more contracts. I love that. I love that. And and that is a perfect example of that emotional undertone. As soon as you said that from proposal to plan, I'm like, yes, that makes absolutely sense. You've already taken their subconscious mind into that next step where we're doing business. I love that. So ladies, the, the thing is never send a proposal. And Amy, from now on, I'm going to keep you accountable that as well. And when you get your next gig, from doing this process, let me know. Um, But the power of words is so important. One thing you mentioned in the book, which I love and I have never seen anywhere, it's the importance of where you sit in a meeting. Can we talk about the different areas to sit? Because we are going to go back to -to face-to-face. I know Sydney's in lockdown again at the moment, but there are times when we do get to go face-to-face and it's important of where to sit. If it's in a cafe, uh, what, what part of the table will you sit at? If you walk into a corporate's office, into a meeting and you've got a boardroom table, there's areas, ladies, that is really important for you to understand where to sit to shift the power or to shift the conversation. Can we go there, expert Amy, on this, please? Yes, yes we can. So this is actually one of my favourite things. I remember learning it probably, it was probably about 15 years ago and it was a game changer for me. It really was, especially when I was still in corporate world because when we walk in, into a meeting or into a conversation or into somewhere where we're going to sit down at a table. Naturally, what we do, especially if we're nervous, so if we have any nerves, any anxiety, any doubt in our mind, in our ability, or if our emotions are running high and maybe we don't like the person or we're a bit intimidated mm, by them, yes, yeah. there's that bit of friction naturally what we do is sit opposite each other because what happens is the table kind of creates kind of creates that safety to us I always it reminds me of for me growing up I was I've always kind of had this fear of horses I don't know why it is but you know horses are so big for me right but the minute that there is a fence in between us I'm fine. Like, so I can go up and I can pat that horse and I'm fine. But when that fence isn't there, there's no chance of getting me close to that Mm -hmm. horse. And if I take that analogy and actually put it into into sitting down at a table at a meeting or a face-to-face, 
the minute you have that table in between the two of you, you feel like you've kind of got that protection, that comfort. But what it creates is very much an us and them. Mm. It creates a back and forth. So when you're sitting opposite somebody, you tend to find the conversation goes back and forth. Now, this will work fine if you've got a really great relationship, then it's absolutely fine. But if you don't have a great relationship, if that person is, if it's either um, a, a testing meeting or a controversial conversation or a confronting conversation, the worst place you can ever sit is opposite them yeah. because it creates more of that. If you are in a room with somebody who you don't have a great relationship with or you feel like it could end up in a bit of back back and forth, sitting right beside them is the best place to sit because you do not have direct eye contact. And if I just go off on a tangent, um, for, all of those, for all of those women's out, women out there that are actually mothers, I was having a conversation on LinkedIn the other day to actually say, if you're a mother, especially of teenage kids or even you know, of kids of any age where you struggle to have some of those challenging conversations, some of the best times to do it is either when you're laying side by side on a bed or when you're driving in a car because both of those situations, you're not directly face-to-face and therefore it takes away some of the pressure, takes away some of the defensive side. It actually levels out the conscious minds and you tend to find the conversations you have are so much more powerful and deep and vulnerable. Yeah, I love that. Now, obviously, I wouldn't encourage doing that with a client. Don't lay down on a bed beside them. Depends what you're selling. But when you are going into these meeting rooms, I would really encourage you, especially if you're doing a sales, I would kind of tend to grab, uh, you know, the two corners of the table so you actually side by side rather than opposite each other. Mm-hmm. If you want to really create a, a strength and a power and control like you're running the meeting, then the best place to run a meeting is from the head of the table. But you'll also notice when you walk into, and for me, it's a, it's a light bulb moment when I walk into a room where I'm doing training and if it's a rectangle table, the people that I see naturally go to the head of the table are either people in high position roles or people with high egos Mm -hmm. because that end of the table is the control zone. So if you want to be in control, if you want to show power, sit there. The last one is peripheral vision. If you really want to capture somebody and make them, for them to remember you and be memorable, make sure you are sitting in their peripheral vision and it's usually at the 45 degree off both sides of your face. So actually not straight on, it's to the right and to your left. The ideal place is to sit. Fantastic. And ladies, there is more in this book about that. Um, <laughs> I, I do actually remember with a lot of the sales training I used to do face-to-face and we were doing just introduction strategies, just how you walk in. And if it was a cafe, to automatically be aware of where that person's sitting in there, that table. So you don't sit on the other side and create the barrier. You do actually grab the other corner. Or when you walk yeah. into that meeting to use your peripheral straight away to see where are they sitting and can you claim if that's centre spot or a middle spot where you've got sort of like full control of the room. But um, I love that. And that's why I loved reading that because I was like, oh, my gosh, like it's just so good for someone to teach this because – I don't know who really teaches it in a meeting and a negotiation situation. And it's these nonverbal communications that create this unconscious ability to be able to create leadership, create power, to be able to create that, you know, unconscious confidence 
to others. So, yeah, I, I just love that you touched on that. I think even in that, uh, another area, which I'm actually not even sure if it's in the book, but for a lot of ladies that are out there, especially small business owners and new to business, we tend to do a lot of networking and networking can be really mm. daunting, especially if you walk in and there's you're part of a big round table and you might think, okay, if it's a round table, where do I sit or what do I do then? Yes. When round table and you walk in and there's you know eight eight to ten ladies on it why what I would encourage you to do is actually introduce yourself and start conversations before you sit down because mm-hmm. the minute you sit down again that table works like a barrier and you've kind of you've got the person to your right and you've got the person to your left but other than that you're a little bit trapped even yeah. so encourage you to walk up to that table walk around the table introduce yourself to each person mm. at the table what that does is it actually opens up that whole table to a full table conversation mm-hmm. then yeah it doesn't restrict people to side by side yeah. so totally change the experience that is a hot but- tip because sometimes you do get stuck to those two people on either side and you know that you want to speak to the person over there and over there oh. and <laughs> I love that. That is such a really powerful tip. Let's go into just, um, you're going through the eight statements to help define where we might be on the scale of emotional intelligence. And there's things that we can be aware of. I know you said, you know, there's different tests, but it really depends on the test and probably where you are at that time of the test and how honest you are and how you observe yourself to how others observe you as well. But there's different statements Um, What are some of the things that we need to be aware of to really help us improve our emotional intelligence? Yeah, so those eight statements that I refer to in the book pretty much encompass all five of those areas and they're kind of kind of some of the key areas. So some of those statements are being able to listen and learn from criticism and simple things like this, and this is where I say, we can overcomplicate mm-hmm. emotional intelligence where these eight statements are things that you can think about every single day. Mm-hmm. So listen and learn from criticism, the ability to be able to respond in a positive solution frame mind when the unexpected occurs, the ability to empathize with other people, um, knowing the impact that you have on other people. And and I hear a lot of people say, you know, your true brand is is what people say about you when you're not in the room. But I would mm. take it even one step further with EI and say your emotional intelligence is actually what you're saying about those people that aren't in the room. Mm. So it's not just what others are saying about you when you're out, mm. but it's the role playing. If somebody is not in the room, what are you saying about them without them there? Love that. And I think the reason why I love these eight statements is as you go through them and um, you would have received it on your interactive bookmark and that it's something that we can refer to all the time. And yeah, there's your bookmark. (laughs) Um, It's something you can refer to all the time, but not just as a one measure. I mean, you can grab out these these eight different statements and actually use them to reflect on a specific situation. So you could have a conversation or you could have gone into a sales meeting and, and had a conversation with a potential client and you can come out and pick up that bookmark and say, how did I go in all of those areas? Did I listen and learn from their criticism? How did I make them feel? Was I Did I come up with solution mode um, added solutions as I was actually going through that meeting? So 
the reason why I love these is A, you can use them all the time and they are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. But B, the best thing about them is that you are creating your own definition of the answer. So when you're giving yourself that score out of 10, it is your own definition. So what I see as listening and learning from criticism, a 10 out of 10, will be completely different to what yours will be, mm-hmm. will be what other people are. So the ability to actually see that but then know that your mind cannot possibly create a, the definition of a 10 out of 10, out of 10 unless you're capable of doing it, which means that you've then got so much to work on. So they're nice, simple statements, and there's statements that you can apply at work, at home, in relationships, absolutely everywhere. They're applicable. What are the five stages? I remember there was self-awareness, self-regulation. Yeah, then there's empathy. Yeah social skills and motivation Mm -hmm. and those five I've taken to align to own it which own it is all around your self-awareness like own who you are own the decisions that you've made Mm -hmm. own your values your beliefs your priorities up until this day and then face it is the second stage which face it is your Mm self-regulation so that's really being able to face your greatest fears face the way that you respond emotionally in certain situations face the triggers that set you off all the time Mm. and then your feel it is your empathy and I think for me uh, there's so much more to feel it than empathy however Empathy in my in my mind is the greatest, greatest skill you can ever build. Totally but along great. with empathy, you know, you've got that empowerment, you've got your just your basic people skills, you've got that ability to understand what makes other people tick. And then the ask it is all around the communication. And I think our social skills and communication have come so far since they first to find emotional intelligence so for me it's knowing how to ask the right questions Mm -hmm. how to really communicate in a way that works for the person receiving the message Mm -hmm. and then that fifth stage is the drive it and for me that takes motivation to another level it is all about working with the chemicals in your mind working with how your brain functions to actually make it happen it's we're not short of ideas, right? We're not short of ideas. We're not short of goals. We're not short of dreams, but we tend to feel to fall a little short of actually delivering. So drive it is about making it happen. Fantastic, Amy. If women are there going, okay, I want to learn more about what you do. I want to learn more about the book. We know the book's the emotional intelligence. It's put out by Amy Jacobson and published by Wiley. Uh, can you tell us how can they learn more about you and get in contact with you? Beautiful. So if you jump onto my website, my website is finding your why with just the letter y.com.au. There is so much information on my website. There are videos, there are articles to read. So a lot of actually educational learning stuff from an emotional intelligence point of view. Also has links to my book. It has pretty much everything you're going to need on there. If you are just looking for the book, you'll find it in the majority of bookstores, bricks and mortar bookstores in Australia, some definitely international in America and the UK as well, but you'll find it on every online store as well. So yeah, if you have any problems finding it, if you go somewhere and they don't stock it, let me know and let's get it in there as soon as possible. <laughs> I love it. Amy, big congratulations in getting your book published as well. And, um, you know, a lot of people go to self-publishing these days, but you managed to get it published. So big congratulations. That's just, you know, you. A, an accomplishment within itself. 
let's wrap up with just some final questions. Just piece of advice, best piece of advice you'd say for a woman in the startup phase, um, mm-hmm. either from your expertise or from your own journey that you think you would have loved to have heard or you think that they probably need to hear that would help them. And then a piece of advice for the woman that's in that growth stage of business. She's she's good at what she does. She's just continually wanting to up-level and improve. Yeah, so first off for the startups, I would say, and this comes from my personal experience as well, is be so adaptable. I think that when we create a business, we create it based on passion and we create what we think other people are looking for. And I know when I first created my business, I put in all of the hard yards. I came from corporate world, so I had a really detailed business plan and, you know, had mapped out how many appointments and how many people I would meet every week and what industries I'd tap into. And I remember my first week of appointments and I got midway through the week to Wednesday, the third day, and I came home and I said to my husband, I'm changing everything. My structure, my actual program structure is not right. And he looked at me like I was crazy and he said, Amy, like it's been three days. And I said, I know but I know enough in those three days to know I haven't got it right. And I think Mm. as business owners, we get so attached, emotionally attached to what we've created and we Mm. put it out there and just wait for it to work. And we think that if it doesn't get picked up, then we just push harder and we work harder on our marketing and our back end. But I would really encourage all small business, all new startups to have the ability to stop adapt and understand what people are looking for and sometimes it won't be the first thing that you set out to deliver so that's probably my best advice I think that's great and then also what then amalgamates from that or what comes from that is then that next genius product or that next genius version and if we aren't ever evolving if our business is never evolving then we, we do start to go backwards. So I think that also links into your ability being what you do with the emotional intelligence. It's not just self-awareness, it's, it's the external awareness and you being able to click, click into that empathy and then, you know, self-regulate. And, yeah. you know, it's all those things that, you know, you do that you did with your business when you first went out there consciously or unconsciously. But, Absolutely. you know, it was, it was something there. So that's a great piece of advice because we do need to be pliable and adaptable thank you for that we haven't had that before but that's a great piece of advice yes. what about one for the female she's in the she's in the growth stage she's 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 killing it she's doing a great job maybe she wants to expand her horizons or maybe she's just trying to get her business to that next level of growth or she's bringing on team just whatever you feel comes to you that you think would be a great piece of advice for a woman that's in that growth stage of business yeah so I would say in that phase emotional intelligence really comes into play in here because we've got this fear of failure or this fear of judgment Mm. or you know this this want to become something bigger this vision that's kind of there but all of these logistics that kind of start to come into play What I would suggest for women in that part of their business is to sit down, try to remove that emotion out of it and actually Mm -hmm. sit down and do a worst case scenario analysis. So that risk assessment, and and I think we tend to miss these risk assessments in smaller businesses. Big businesses do them really well, right? They have their risk assessment that happens constantly. In a small business, when I make big decisions like bringing on staff, I look at it and I say, okay, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen if I make this decision? 
And then once I work out, okay, the worst thing that could possibly happen is maybe it doesn't go to plan and then maybe I won't have enough money to pay their wage, which is the biggest fear, right? Like what if I dump too quickly and I don't have the money to cover their wage? So then once we know what that worst case scenario is, we say, okay, what are our options to actually either eliminate that or to make it no longer a problem. So mm-hmm. for me, I looked and I went, okay, bringing in someone full-time is, is a full-on thing. So what I opted to do, my biggest fear was not being able to pay their wage. So I waited until I had that slush fund that was there to cover their wage for six months because mm-hmm. then it didn't matter what happened. Like the money was going to be there. And then what I also did was actually brought them on to begin with in a six-month contract so mm-hmm. I found the ideal person, brought them on as a six-month contract and then was able to actually, and I actually converted them over to a full-time contract within a month and a half because I knew <laughs> how amazing she was and didn't want to lose her. But I think it's what happens in our mind when fear kicks in and we start to really self-doubt and, and wonder whether we're making the right decisions, what's causing mm. it is unknown unknown answers like our brain does not have the answers to something that it's worrying about and the only way that we can do it like we cannot know those answers those answers are not something that we can find but what we can do is look at every possible outcome or scenario that would happen and if we can get to the point where we get our mind thinking okay if this happens I'll do this if this happens I'll do this Mm. happens I'll do this even though we still don't know the answer we know the answers to every situation so yeah that for me is a big part that is huge that actually is one thing that I always go back to and I can't remember because I've done so many different NLP learnings but there's one with Cartesian theory in it I don't know if you've done it and I think it really helped with the leadership side because I used to do some leadership training and that Cartesian theory of the four ways to look at a problem and I still use that to date or if I'm helping a friend out or if it's with a client and I'm coaching I'll actually go through that Cartesian theory and that's exactly what you're saying, which is looking at each area. And that links to actually what you're saying with a lot of the blockers when it comes to emotional intelligence. You were saying um, the best way you know you've got a blocker and how to move through it. That's actually mentioned in your book, which I really loved that part because it just helps us understand that one of the biggest things that blocks us is our fear and to be really aware of what it is. But also you were saying like the importance of the the subconscious because the conscious mind could say something, but then it's really the stuff that's (laughs) held back in the, in the unconscious mind. Uh, Amy, I love to finish this interview with this one question. Now I know I heard from an interview that you, when you were a child, that you wanted to be a singer and a dancer. (laughs) Yes, I don't know how that worked out for you. It didn't work out well. To know, (laughs) what is the one thing that you think that, or you know, it's like it's like a feeling. You go, this is my go-to place. If you're having a hard day, a hard week, or something that you just know when you do it, it physically gets you moving your body away from your desk, away from your work. When you do it, it makes you the happiest version of you. What would it be? I I think it does come back to that dancing and singing. And and unfortunately, 
I'm, I'm really not good at it, but I'm also, I'm also not phased. It, it's, and that is getting with my kids and my daughter is a massive musical fan. So at the moment we are just loving, loving Hamilton and In the Heights. And my son is right into R&B and rap. And I am that daggy, daggy, but I'd like to say cool mum that kind of jumps in with both of them and tries to, you know, keep up with the trends sings, dance, goes crazy, tries those silly TikTok moves that tend to embarrass my kids. But that is when I'm in my element is seeing them laugh at me being a dag, I guess. And that's, it's just, it's that vulnerability, right? It's just letting go. The inner superstar can still come out then, right? (laughs) That's right. I'm in my element. Oh, I love that. Well, Amy, it has been a beautiful conversation, a incredible, valuable conversation for these women that are listening. Uh, if you want to learn more, ladies, all the links are below if you're listening to it on Apple Podcast. If you go to AnnetteLackovich.com forward slash emotional intelligence, all one word, no hyphen. Uh, that's in case you're on the run. But uh, just go to my website or you can go to Amy Jacobson, finding your why. Like how easy is that to remember? Finding your why. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can get a hold of Amy to actually learn more or to get a hold of her book. Amy, thank you for your genius. Thank you for sharing and changing and making people have a happier world to live in. And um, it's been great to have you on the Who Pruno show. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Annette. I had an absolute ball. You're listening to the Her Show. I hope you received the inspirational idea, thought, or message that you're meant to hear today. If you love the show, it means a bunch to me sending me a message on Facebook or on iTunes to rate and review the show and subscribe so you're the first to know when the next show's released. Until then, make sure you do something that fills up your level of happiness, something that lifts your vibration so high that you're the happiest person that you know. I'm out.